0: Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houten of 40%German.com. And as always, I'm joined by our notoriously inept co host, Dilly Algema, and stalwart producer, Simon Josie, to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey, Dilly. Hey, Simon. How are we doing?
1: Hi, Nick. Hi, Simon.
0: Hey, g'day. Nick, g'day, Dilly. Uh, Dilly, I've got to apologize. Uh, I don't know who wrote Notoriously Inept in the intro. It wasn't me. Uh, I'm going to point. Fingers you can't see, listener, but I'm pointing them very much in the direction of producer Simon, who seems to uh, find great joy in ri- writing the most mean things in the intro. So, Dilly, um, do you have something to say to Simon? Do you want to send him a poison pen letter or I don't know, sort of send him some rotten fruit or something in the mail? I don't know how you get your own back.
1: Let's just make a voodoo doll out of him. Oh,
0: Shit, you went right for the nuclear option, didn't you?
1: <laughs> nuclear, there you said it again. Ooh, two words in one
0: stone. I said it very quickly, just, just in the hope that I, you miss the fact that I say that word in a very weird way, apparently. Um, I'm going to move on quickly from the general violence that's slowly bubbling under the surface between your <laughs> co-hosts. And uh, I want to talk about a weird discovery that I made this week when I was talking to my wife. So we were having lunch the other day. Uh, me and my wife, and uh, I realized that I've accidentally done dry January.
1: I was surprised to see that. You, of all people.
0: Yeah. I love drinking, but apparently I've done dry January. Um, I realized midway through last week and then decided I might as well stick it out till the end. In fairness, my wife is still breastfeeding, so it makes sense that she's not drinking. But me, apparently I just forgot. But the question I have, does it count? Because now I can brag about it on social media that I've done dry January and uh, I can make it the only topic of discussion I have for the rest of the year. And I'm pretty sure that's how you do dry January, right? Right? No. You brag about it. You constantly talk about it. And you say how great you you are as a person.
1: (laughs) I think you can. (laughs) Just because Simon said no. Spite <laughs> Here we go Spite's a good way to if go If
2: you're standing in the goal mouth Looking the wrong way And the ball bounces off the back of your head in the goal Do you take credit for that?
0: Then you are the greatest goalkeeper that has ever lived, right? That's how it works
2: Goalkeeper or goal or striker?
0: or oh, striker It doesn't matter If the ball goes in off my arse I am the new Alan Shearer Okay, so this
2: This is not going to work with you, is it? <laughs>
0: no I just thought it was funny I had no intention of doing it I wasn't thinking I was doing it but I'm at this point now where I don't know about you but January is the month that drags the longest out of the 12 in the year and um yeah I find that it's quite I always find January a rough month to go through I think like a lot of people and I would have thought drinking would have helped but no also every time I have a drink I fall straight asleep which seems to be Defeating the point of having a drink. I had half a beer on Sunday, and I was asleep for an hour and a half. Hold on. Ho- wh- hold
1: wait, on. wait, wait. You How had beer? How can you have had
0: half a beer and still claim
2: to have been had a dry January?
1: Yeah, that's not dry January. Oh, right,
0: yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I suppose that's broken, that dry January. That's good, though. I posi- would actually thought about that at all. I hadn't thought about, <laughs> hadn't thought about the fact. <laughs> what had you thought about then? <laughs> I just hadn't. Because I wasn't, I wasn't thinking. I, like we had brunch on Sunday, and I hadn't, I hadn't considered that I was drinking alcohol.
1: You had alcohol for brunch?
0: Yeah, that's on kind of what Sunday? you do, right? That's normal. Yeah, I mean, it's normal. Well, it was all it was. It might even not have been half a beer. It might have been like a, like a third of a bottle. I split it with with uh, one of the, the guests we had over.
1: So you had scrambled eggs and beer?
0: No, it was it was the in between bit. Do you know you have the breakfast bit? And then you have the lead into the the lunch bit.
1: That's not brunch. That's uh, breakfast and lunch a little later.
0: You do understand the concept of brunch, don't you? Do you? (laughs) So it's, it's combined, right? But usually what happens when you have brunch is you eat the breakfast bit. And then you have no, the lunch no, bit no, kinda tagged no, on the side. I
2: repeat my question. Do you? I'm with Dilly on this
0: one. Oh, it's so you're telling me you're having you're, you're telling me you're you're gonna have uh, a quiche for, for breakfast. Is that what you're telling us? Why this? not? Uh,
1: that's brunch. Fucking like hell, it, it's a mix. It's a timing
2: thing. Yeah.
0: Didn't take long for you two to combine together. I thought Dilly was at, at Siren's throat. All it takes is a misstep over, over dry January and a and a brunch mis, misstep. And damn it, now I'm uh, so
1: you were wrong about dry January, and you're wrong about the next story, which is brunch. Oh, ouch!
0: I didn't know you could be wrong about brunch. Well, how were you doing brunch? I didn't you know me. you could be Inform wrong about me. brunch either, but there you are. I honestly, I, listener, um, I can understand that my claims about dry January have now been obliterated. But I didn't know I didn't know you could do brunch wrong. But apparently, we're lucky today because we have two experts in the field who are going to tell me exactly, how do I do brunch? The sarcasm
1: is not going to save you. Oh, my.
0: Who's being sarcastic? You lost Dry I am, January. Right? You just I've lost ever brunch.
1: Been. Let's see what else you lose. I don't lose.
0: really, I don't really care. Dry January doesn't no, That's like, why I he's making even, a speech about it. Okay, now There's no there's no way you can defend yourself against that, is it? It's like, yeah, I don't care. Yes, you do. <laughs> you care deeply. <laughs>
1: yeah, you'll be, like, yeah no, you're giving a know. speech like from the top of a mountain.
0: My God. Well, that's you we've how many episodes have we done dilly that's how i talk <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay it's called he's the shouting, Moses effect. He's shouting it from it. the rooftops that's because he cares
0: i mean i'm on the top floor i'm not on the roof though um no i mean i kind of i was annoyed that i was doing dry january so now i'm actually quite happy that i, I i've managed to break it by drinking like two mouthfuls of beer Um, happy days. How
2: can you be annoyed by something that you weren't even aware of until it was finished or basically, yeah, well, it's over now, isn't it?
0: I'm aware of it in the world as a concept as a thing that people keep fucking talking about as if it's some kind of grand (laughs) achievement. (laughs) You're the one who's talking about it, buddy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not understand that not only are you experts in brunch, but apparently you have no concept of irony. I didn't know I was speaking to Americans. There you go. Well done. But you're going to turn them off as well now, are you?
1: <laughs> That's what he always comes up with. When things go south, it's like, oh, you're American. Don't forget you were colonized by the British. Well, it's
0: either that or French. I'm British. I've only got two options. <laughs> I would uh, I'd complain about New Zealand, but it's kind of like complaining about a glass of water, isn't it? Let's be perfectly frank here. It's kind of a bit of a nothing burger. Even his
1: insults are weak. You shouldn't have done dry January.
0: I didn't. That's why I'm happy. That's why I'm so... Uh, I'm so ecstatic because. So, is, is this just... how you
1: always did brunch? Like, have to have breakfast, wait a bit, drink a beer, and then have lunch?
0: Uh, I don't always drink beer. Um, <laughs> of course. Usually, don't I don't actually, <laughs> That's the part you didn't like, do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. That's. I mean, again, it's it's it seems like from this story that I'm some kind of insane person, which wouldn't be far from the truth. But like, I don't want to eat. You don't eat lunch food. Like, surely the best thing about brunch is eating. Breakfast food, because breakfast food is the best food, right? So, like, the opportunity to eat bacon, eggs, croissants, porridge.
1: Ah, the classic British breakfast. Ah, okay.
0: Oh yeah, the, that classic British pastry, the croissant. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's uh, renowned for its British credentials. I,
2: I, I agree with that. But to me, the whole concept is that you just take those yummy things yeah. and you just shift them to later in the day. Yeah. So you don't do breakfast. You just take the breakfast food, the breakfast menu, and you eat them closer to lunchtime. It's not two separate meals. It's just one meal just shifted in time.
0: I don't know where you put this brunch purisms come from. Like it's really bizarre. <laughs> it's so like militant about it.
1: Well, the point of brunch is that it's it's mixed. That's the point. I mean, it's there in the words.
0: You could, you could, you could, you could mix it, Tilly. But sometimes you might not mix it.
1: Yeah, then you call it breakfast and later lunch. Uh
0: okay, right. So if you don't leave the table, is it still brunch? Is that is that dead air? Is that, is that the silence of people who realize that I might have a point? There was no no silence Um, I
2: think. So here's the situation. You go to a restaurant, you go to a cool cafe for brunch. Do you order a big British or English breakfast as they call them and you gobble that up and then do you wait and then order a big lunch? Because that's, that's what you were basically describing to us.
0: Well, the first mistake is you you obviously go into places that are shit for brunch because you're ordering, like, meals. Like, you go to somewhere that's got a buffet. That's the obvious thing you do. And you can do whatever the fuck that you want. That was a yes or no you can question. Have, you can have, no, My no, God. there's no, so, there's no so yes. So you got dry no, January no.
1: wrong, then brunch, and now yes or no questions? Ooh,
0: I don't think you can... I, I'm adamant you can't get brunch wrong. Like, you're kind well, of... you're totally getting it wrong. Zero, you don't even zero yeah, you know just what did, you're talking And then about. you got you're the yes zero zero or no. No questions wrong. How
1: do Honestly, you get a yes or no question wrong?
0: I d- I d- you got three Christ. things wrong <laughs> in a row. All right, listen, I guess guess who's the teacher on the podcast?
2: I don't like buffets anymore.
0: You don't like buffets anymore?
2: Anymore, no. I'm an older man now, and they're just, they're just like the devil's work.
0: Ah, right. It, the problem is you don't do brunch right because you're old. Is that what you're trying to explain to us?
2: No, what I'm saying is I don't, I don't like the concept of buffets anymore because it's all right when you're young and you can grossly overeat, but I can't grossly overeat anymore. That's, it's a real disappointment. I can tell you, I mean, that's what a buffet's good for. I mean, there's no, there's no point in going to a buffet and having a little bit of this and a little bit of that and that's it. And then not going back about three times, right? You got mm-hmm. to go back about three times. I,
0: I can't do so. that anymore. Oh dear. The tribulations, right? The tribulations. If you wait, it'll happen. Stairs, icy paths, buffets. All of these things are difficult for Simon. You wait; it is all happening.
1: Every yeah, Sri yeah, Lankan yeah. wedding is I, I call it a buffet, by the way. I have to look this up. So every Sri Lankan wedding has a buffet.
2: Are you taking the piss out of my New Zealand accent now, Dilly? Because No, I, I just explained why team.
1: I pronounce it differently. I may as well have been taking the piss out of myself. Why are you so defensive? Well, I,
2: because I thought I took it personally as an attack upon me. That's why. Please
1: don't. Dilly, I did Dilly's, not attack. Dilly,
2: Dilly's
0: like aggressive today. She's I like know. Totally I'm trying to tone it down. Just people down. Do you know? Do you know what this verbal assault is like? Dilly It's very similar to something that my my older siblings used to do to me when I was when I was a little kid. What kind of which assault? Is called the type. Um, as as a verbal assault. Uh-huh. Um. So what they used to do was they used to chase us around the house, the three of them, and then they'd pin me down, like sit on top of us, pin my arms down, and they'd do something called the typewriter, which involved like really harshly prodding your, your stomach, your sort of chest with, uh, with your fingers like it's a typewriter. And mm. then do you know how typewriters go, bing, mm. they slap you in the face, right? So they go, bing, and it would slap you to do that three or four times. That is the same, the feeling I had when I was a little kid and that was happening to me is the same feeling that I get from this conversation i am so
1: sorry <laughs>
0: yeah 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 you've uh you've triggered me dilly and i'll never be the same again luckily though um we can move on to a different topic and see if it changes the uh the general atmosphere we seem to have created in the first five minutes we had another very very complex and tricky debates to kick off the show last week and it was about pants <laughs> my choice of the word pants which apparently was wrong uh and it should be what was it the word of choice that you guys had it wasn't pants. underwear, was underwear, underwear. right undies. um i'm skip. Sc- uh, yeah undies uh i suppose if you're if you're from uh, australia or new zealand that might be uh, um, a, a, an alternative 26 sues on twitter pointed out that we missed the obvious british word which was knickers I was wondering how you feel about the word knickers. Um, producer Simon is pulling a, <laughs> a, a contorted face there, so I'm guessing he's not a fan. Yeah, it doesn't throw me. <laughs> so we don't like how about undercrackers? Do we feel good about the term undercrackers?
1: Did you see the name that I remember they put down there?
0: What jock straps?
1: My father <laughs> used to wear jock straps.
0: What did he? He had to be playing a sport, though, right?
1: No, he he would just go to work uh, wearing jock straps underneath his trousers.
0: <laughs> that's uncomfortable pants that I, your your father would choose. I thought
1: to, that's to what wear. all men wore. No, jock straps. It's
0: very much a, It's very more, much a sports accessory.
2: You're not referring to jockeys, which is a brand of underwear, male brand, particularly big in Australasia.
1: They were also jockeys, but they were jock straps as well.
0: Well, jock straps actually have a strap. So there's no arse on the, on the jock strap. There is That's no ass. That's how a arse. jock strap works.
1: Let me see. Let me, let me think back to my childhood memories of my father's underwear.
0: So it's two straps and it covers, it covers your genitals. And then, and then the two straps go over. And it basically, it's a sports accessory that holds everything in place. Especially if you're going to play cricket. And put a box over the top. It's I was going to
2: say, you need a box if you're playing cricket. Indeed.
1: Oh, that's the, the, what was it called? The ball guard, right?
0: We call them boxes. I prefer ball guard, actually. I think you should keep using that, Dilly. It's much better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my brother played cricket with all the gear.
0: Yeah. Oh, you definitely need one if you're playing cricket. So, yeah, we have got some alternatives that we didn't think about. I still think Unterhose is probably my my preferred term but uh i'll go with pants
1: isn't that the literal translation of underpants
0: uh it might be but underhose is german so i'm gonna say that instead
1: i'm not going to contradict nick i'm going to be nice to him for the rest (laughs) of the podcast i don't want him to go to his bad place
0: yeah it's too late you've already bullied me um we're already we're already you're already on my list i'll put your name in my book um, so much for these friends. Um, okay, we'll move past the pants debate for fear that we'll start another horrible argument. Uh, we've got two updates. Our well, first update is on the protests that are, have occurred and we've talked about it for the last two weeks, but we thought we might throw it in at the beginning. Just to remind you, they're still ongoing. Uh, there's more been more protests over the last weekend with 60,000 turning out in Hamburg. Uh, against the right wing, and there was ten thousand in Munich to protest um, farming policies. So there's still a lot of protests going. But the the bigger the bigger protests at the moment are, are from the the anti right wing movement. That's uh, yeah, it's not really spearheaded by any particular party or any particular group. It's it's very much a, a grassroots movement. I'm just wondering, do you think we have to keep a running tally of all the protests happening every week? Is that what we have to do now? It's like the farming protests, train protests, protests to the far right, next protest, this protest, that Public protest. Public
1: transport protest on Friday.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit more in a moment. But mm. yeah, it just feels like we're, every week is, is kind of running running a, a, a tally of, of, of the people on the street. I'm actually going to the, uh, the um, anti-right-wing protest in Augsburg nice. on Saturday. Um, when you're listening to this, dear listener, I think it starts at two. I've already got plans for... And it, uh, you tell me, is this manipulative? But this is what my wife wants me to do. Because I, I, I made a joke about it. Mm. And, uh, and she got very serious and said that this is exactly what we should be doing. She wants us to make signs. So I'm going to mm. make some signs. But I said, I'll make one for my daughter. A little sign that just says, uh, can my daddy stay? <laughs> I, was like, I thought that'd be quite funny. But I thought it was like a joke. And she was like, no, that's exactly what we should do. And I was like, it's a bit manipulative. And she's like, no. That's exactly it. I think she's trying to get her on the front page of the Augsburger Algemein. <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> Is it
1: ridiculous? I mean, it's a protest. I mean, you're supposed to convince people. It's convincing.
0: All, all the other ones, all my other ideas have been vetoed, so...
1: What what other ideas did you have?
0: I had a joke about um, Dexit. Uh, I had another one that... Alice Vidal doesn't know I'm here. Um, what else was there? There were some other ones about... Um, uh, my wife wants snappy slogans. She doesn't want long winded things, but yeah, there's been this, she's basically vetoing a lot of my ideas. Most of them were just like kind of insults, like just straight, straight up swear words. <laughs> so she's like, no, you can't have that. You can't do this. But yeah, are,
2: are you tempted to put it in English or was it definitely going to be in German?
0: i uh, weirdly, my wife said to us over the weekend, that like, you're going to have to speak German at the protest. And I was like, I guessed as much, but like. I don't think it really matters particularly but the signs will be in german for sure it kind of defeats the purpose if you're if you're a migrant in germany protesting against the far right and you turn up with a sign in english i did want to have something that had cringe in it though and like loads of like english Denglish words that we've had so um do what to, to trigger them hopefully <laughs> just to see what, what i can come up with but i, I think uh, I'll, I'll stick to what i've got do, do you
2: find it challenging to be brief in german like you know how in english because we're comfortable with english we can um, shorten things we can throw grammar rules out out the out the window in a certain way because we're just natural speakers i mean if i was to write a sign in german i would be f- fretting about where the verb goes and um yep. and whether i've got the right case and all, all those kind of things so you know h- how to be succinct and to the point and witty and clever in german i think yeah probably fail on all those points
0: well i think succinct german sentences usually come if i want to be really succinct it would be dialect that i will probably fall upon uh, mostly um, but really, in my own speech, no, I find it very hard to be to be succinct and be um, still remain coherent.
2: Mm-hmm. I think
0: a lot of the time in German, though, it's the passive that they use to make it things snappy, and they infer context. That's usually been my experience. If you get some kind of snappy slogan, but that's why I think a lot of companies use English because it has that it lends itself to short short phrases quite nicely in a way that german has short phrases but they usually stock short phrases
1: like brunch
0: sorry <laughs> i don't bring brunch 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 i don't i think is an english word but who knows um but yeah I'm, i can't work out how i'm gonna put brunch on my on my protest sign um I the other question i was gonna ask you is do you reckon like this is the norm then this is the the where we are in, in sort of the political landscape of Germany is that we'll just have almost monthly protests all the way up until the next election.
2: I kind of hope so in some ways, because if if people are out on the streets, they give a damn and, um, I kind of prefer that to not giving a damn. Of course, it depends on what's been, what, what they're protesting about, but, uh, compared to say the Verdenker from a couple of years back yeah i'm much happier to see people who uh, a a broad based coalition of protesters who are uh, protesting against the extreme right that sounds like quite a healthy thing for a vibrant democracy to me
1: i mean the strikes the farmer strikes the the train driver strikes for instance i hope they will end because the the unions are successful I mean, they they have to, Mm -hmm. end. I don't want to see them go on and on, not because it's an inconvenience, but because people need to get paid well. Everyone has one life and people need to have a proper income, particularly with the rising cost of living. But when it Mm -hmm. comes to the far right, I, I, I mean, I'm ever so happy to see people step out. I would join the strikes if something is happening in Frankfurt when I'm there next week. I'd be happy to. But I have a feeling that that's a strike that can never end.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it'll peter out or, or whether um, its economic situation sort of improves or the economic situation improves, then we might see fewer and fewer kind of direct action occurring. I think, in fact, am I right in thinking let, Let's let the Generation announce that they're going to stop gluing themselves to streets now?
2: Oh, I didn't see that.
0: Yeah, there was an announcement. I think it was less yesterday, and they, they basically said, I think I also heard it on the radio too, that they've decided that they're no longer going to, that's not a strategy that's really working for them, and uh, they're going to stop blocking streets, That's what they announced. So um, that seems interesting, and perhaps a reaction to the farming strikes, or maybe it's a way of alleviating, if they're striking, blocking streets and farmers are striking by blocking streets, you might end up with a situation where some real trouble occurs. So it does seem like a sensible step.
1: Uh, Have either of you read that uh, the IFD has lost uh, one of its elections in Turinia?
2: I I did hear that, yeah.
0: Yeah, it seemed that there there was a municipal position or was it a mayoral position, I'm not sure.
1: In the district of uh, Zalaola. I was just thinking, I mean, this is also seen as a result of the strikes, and thats it's pretty nice. So I'm, I'm reading off the DW website. So Christian Herrgott of the conservative CDU beat out far-right alternative for Germany candidate Uwe Thrum in a regional runoff election in the eastern German state of Thuringia on Sunday. That seems like really good news, and... Uh, even better news is that election officials say some 69% of the saale Aller districts, 66,000 registered voters cast ballots on Sunday. That's also a sign that people are taking this to heart and that the strikes are having an effect on people, particularly in East Germany, where uh, the IFD is very favored to win. That's That's... Mm. I mean, that should brighten up these last of the winter days, right?
2: A little. I would say one sparrow doesn't make a spring, but yeah, hopefully this trend will broaden out to be a real thing.
0: I just, it's like I said last week, I just think the more, the more contact they have with actual voters, the less likely people will be to vote for them. And the more people are energized to go out on the streets, because I think what we had 900,000 a few weeks ago, like nine hundred thousand people that are motivated to go out on the streets, which suggests like millions and millions of people are in support of that idea. I mean if you think of how how obviously counting the number of, of people protesting isn't an effective way of working out the popularity of a movement, but the fact that it's still ongoing, the fact there's still announced protests happening, there's there's thousands of people who and in, in towns across the the country who are who are protesting, and I think it it has an impact, and it has uh, has people talking about it for sure. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's um, again, it's it's one of those things we just have to keep an eye on. I'll leave the last word on the protests, at least, to Federal President Frank uh, Walter Steinmeier, who has called for a broad alliance for democracy against extremism. He said, "If our democracy is attacked." then the limit has been crossed in which opposition comes second and meaning like you need opponents need to work together to fight, uh, for democracy. And he said that in Berlin on Monday. And he also went on to say the democratic center, the vast majority of our society must take a position and must be made clear across companies, culture, and society. We will not let extremist pied pipers destroy this country, which I thought was quite powerful language from, uh, from Steinmeier who isn't always. He isn't always as sort of forthright as he could be on these these issues, so I guess we'll just have to see what comes over the next few months. I'm hoping that the kind of the fight against the right wing will continue, as Simon said. Yeah. So we've also, um, as Diddy mentioned, there's, some, there's been obviously strikes happening in, in in the railway sector. The recent strike. Uh, for the railway, it started last Wednesday or was it last Tuesday evening that ended early and, uh, the railway union and, uh, Deutsche Bahn are back around the table negotiating. But, uh, Deutsche Bahn came out with some quite startling statistics. They reckon it's cost 25 million euros per day to Deutsche Bahn, to the, to the economy in general, the steel industry, the chemical industry and the automotive industry were the hardest hit sectors. Apparently twelve thousand cars are exported every day along the train lines. Blast furnaces for steel need four freight trains worth of coal and ore every day and uh, another thirty tons of, of bulk materials are used in the uh, in in the chemical industry so there 's a lot of materials that just aren 't going anywhere or are going to waste or products that aren 't being transported, which mm-hmm. has raised this this quite large sum of money. And uh, yeah, like I said, the the the, the unions and the, the Deutsche Bahn are back around the table negotiating, and hopefully there'll be some kind of resolution that, that benefits the workers. But the um, the other thing that Dilly mentioned was the potential for a public transport strike. So the Verdi union who represent local transport workers are now calling for a nationwide strike to start next Friday. Oh, uh, they're demanding more vacation, more holiday pay as well as measures to improve staff turnaround times, because there's been a, a large shortage of workers. Their spokesperson said, we have a completely different style than the GDL referencing the strikes in the rail networks. And that was from chairperson, uh, Christine Beeler she went on to say we are we are not aiming to conduct strikes for entire days and weeks ultimately however this depends on the behavior of the employers so basically they're saying we're not doing it yet but we might so again i don't know i think that public transport strikes will affect people more than the deutsche Bahn strikes honestly like i wouldn't be able to go to work without public transport Dilly, i think you'd be the same you'd be really scubbid if there was a public transport strike so, it doesn't look like the winter of discontent in Germany is going to end anytime soon. A new study by the University of Jena came out over the weekend. It's called uh, Deutschland Monitor. And it's quite an interesting study of, of East Germany, uh, the eastern states of Germany, and how um, many East Germans feel left behind by society. And it roughly sort of points out that despite there being a similar quality of life between the former Eastern states and and the west of of Germany, many East Germans do feel like they are not really in sync with the rest of the country. And this has also influenced their attitude towards populism and democracy in general. One of the really interesting things that came out of the study was that they they talk a lot about the lived environment and they say it's crucial for the development of, of political attitudes those who see their sort of immediate surroundings and themselves as disadvantaged are more likely to feel left behind. And, uh, according to the study, this means these people have the impression that politicians are not sufficiently interested in their region and are not committed enough to its economic development. So it could just be as simple as walking through boarded up streets or seeing kind of, uh, disrepair all around. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to stereotype. Uh, the East in any way, shape or form, I've been to a few of the major cities, lovely places, Leipzig and 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 uh, Dresden and places like that. But I remember when I went, when I drove to Wittenberg a few years ago, like the driving through the small towns, I was quite shocked by the real visual difference and the kind of run down nature of a lot of small towns compared to obviously the very, very affluent South where I live. Uh, where you have these kind of beautiful picturesque Bavarian villages. I do think though, and and you can can, can chime in on both of you on this, which is, I don't necessarily think those findings are very surprising. The idea that if you walk around your town and it looks like it's fallen apart and there's some rubbish on the streets that you might feel that you've been forgotten. And like when you look out the window and you see boarded up shops and the area in a state of repair, you might think no one gives a fuck. Do you think that's a reasonable, a reasonable position to take? I, I mean,
1: I find it a very valid standpoint, no? I mean, these are also times where you have the internet and you can travel and you see how everything else is. And you realize that uh, your hometown probably is maybe even in situations where you can't leave it. You have your parents there, you have your families there, you have land and your houses. And people can't just up and leave and people are still fond of like, I mean, uh, of the place they come from. I was shocked uh, when I moved here to Weissenfels. I mean, I moved here for work uh, long before. I mean, I had already like taken up the position before I had seen the city and I could have never imagined that this is what it looks like. But then... There, I also have uh, very nice friends and colleagues who come from this town, and they were born here. This is their hometown, and they they speak mm. of it very fondly. And um, yeah, it, it it must be pretty hard to know that. I mean, you live in a even what is known as a developed country, and this is it here.
0: So maybe it's just the my upbringing that makes us makes me believe these findings is just that little bit more because in a past life I was a horrible little scally who, uh, skipped school and yeah, did horrible things and wasn't a particularly nice teenager. And, uh, we had no respect for anything because everything around us was shit. We lived in a horrible housing estate. There was a youth club that would routinely get wrecked because no one had any nice things and we were all just angry, angry teenagers. I mean, the worst incident that I remember from my youth was kids breaking into the bottle bank filling bottles with petrol and throwing petrol bombs at a a moving train. Um, That was something that a a big group of kids did. And it was sheer boredom. Sheer boredom, uh, but also a kind of no one gives a fuck about us, so we don't give a fuck about them kind of attitude that stemmed from, I think, the area that we lived and the social sort of class that we were in.
2: Uh, Aren't you also saying, or are are you saying that it's actually no one gives a fuck about the physical environment and the the outward appearance of the physical environment in which people are growing up is actually having a, a very powerful impact on on their attitudes to, to their physical environment and their community as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, New York and when Rudy Giuliani was, I think it's Rudy Giuliani t- who coined the phrase about, was it like the broken window theory like if there's a broken window and it's remains in disrepair for long enough, it'll, it'll lead to more broken windows. And, and that's been kind of debunked somewhat, but I do think your lived environment impacts the way you see the world because it's the only thing you really know. And it's, it's, that that's the danger of small towns, at least again, this is a very personal perspective. Having lived in a small town as well as a kind of major cities is you kind of feel locked in. Cause it's, you know, everybody, it can feel intimidating to leave, but also mm. you deal. And this is something I dealt with when I lived in Scotland was when I said I was leaving people asking like, why would you want to leave? Like they just couldn't conceive of another option, you know? And the only reason I had another option is cause I'd seen that there were other mm. options. And I think if you've never seen another option, like I've got family members who fell into what I consider a bit of a trap in the, the, like in, a, in a trap that I would easily have fallen into where you're sort of in your early twenties you accidentally get a girl pregnant, you end up having a kid that leads to another kid, and then you kind of that's you 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 sort of you're not going anywhere are you? you you really are locked in, and there's so many of people that I know who kind of fell into that, and it is just like a lack of options, a lack of awareness that there are options, and also like well what what else are you gonna do you know so I do think there's that that lived environment can cause. You just see the world in a very particular way. Whether it's the only factor is is debatable, I think. And it's something, Simon, you were actually talking about last week, and you might find this a bit bit interesting, but the study actually went into like assessing quality of life, and it pointed out there's not much difference between people in the East and West or people living in rural areas and those from the city. And its claim is that people in rural areas don't really feel disadvantaged more often than anyone else. However, one in five East Germans feel left behind, as the report has stated, uh, while the figure for West Germans is only 8%. So a very big discrepancy there. And the feeling's not unique, apparently, to East Germany, but apparently this this feeling is more widespread in the eastern parts of the country. According to the study, the reason for this is that there are proportionally more regions that are severely affected by emigration, people leaving and aging. So you have an aging population and people leaving the towns and, and areas to find employment elsewhere. And you end up with like ghost towns, basically. Mm. Um, and, uh, I've read an article actually recently that talked about this as an issue for Japan, where you have an increasingly graying society and how society starts to shape around the age of the largest portion of society. And if the largest proportion is kind of elderly people, then, then your society's kind of circling the drain as it were. Yeah. I dunno, I dunno whether this is a kind of mea culpa of some kind, or this is this some kind of excuse for how things are. I do feel like there's obviously been a lot of investment in the East of Germany over the, um, last three decades but it doesn't always seem to go at the places it needs to go. And employment's an issue. And this is another example of the issues that, that the people in the East face. And I wonder if it brings more understanding, if understanding is even something that we need, do we need to understand the East a bit better and maybe stop judging it? I don't know. I don't know what you think, Dilly. You're the only one of us in the East. It's
1: been hell of a challenge having moved here. Mm -hmm. I remember like uh, seeing my town for the first time. It was also like a partially rainy day, which didn't help at all. And I moved here in the dead of winter. I was in tears when I got out of the car with my boyfriend and he held my hand and he said, hey, it's, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. You're not here forever. And that is what keeps me going. But that is also a very unkind way of thinking about something that is home to someone else. I'm hugely privileged in knowing that this is not where I have to be forever and that uh, my life is also elsewhere. I moved here from elsewhere temporarily. Um, I mean, from that kind of perspective, what can I say that, that doesn't come across as condescending and uh, not very well thought out?
0: I don't think that it's not well thought out. I think you've highlighted some some pretty important points. You know, the fact that the visual of the town was enough to kind of bring you to tears for various other reasons. I'm sure not just the town, but like the the sort of having to to sort of move to a different place and, and set up on your own and new job. And there's a lot of other stresses, I'm sure. But I think at the same time, weirdly, I had exactly the same experience when I drove into Falkirk, I had this image in my head of what what Scotland was, was a little cottage on a hill with sheep. Yeah. And I literally, this is. I remember this. I remember sitting in the car as we drove towards the housing estate, and I remember thinking, "Oh, thank fuck, we don't live there." And then the car turned into the housing estate, and I was like, "Fuck, I live here." And I remember just crying for a week. Aww. Just the idea of it just just broke my heart yeah. because it was so counter to my own like experiences. And I think it was privilege. The realization that fuck, like people actually live in places Mm -hmm. like this. And I'd look down my nose at places like this. And now I was living in a place like that. And I think it really changed my understanding of, of, of other people for for the better, I think, and and what other people's experiences are. But at the same time, it's like a 15 year old kid, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, and, and, and it's difficult, I think growing up in those places because there is a expectation. Um, for what you'll become, there's a um, kind of expectation that's limited by other people's ideas of what is the norm. Mm. And um, if the norm is to have kids in your early 20s and work a minimum wage job, like, you can understand why when people get in their 30s and 40s, they start getting really fucking angry. Mm. And then they start seeing kind of people who don't really know what it's like to live in those places, kind of mouthing off or saying this, that, and the other, or the feeling that, and tr- the truth, the truth of the matter is politicians have fucking forgotten the East. They've kind of written it off. They wrote it off when they began the process of transition to, to integrate the Eastern states into Germany. They, they didn't think too carefully about long-term plans. They did exactly what Margaret Thatcher did to, like the the Northeast and Scotland, where they shut down all the industry without any forethought for what would happen next, Yeah, Uh, sold everything off. And then lo and behold, 30 years later, you have massive social problems Mm. and you have the rise of the far right, because where does the far right do well? It does well in play, not with, um, the assumption being just ignorant people. It does Mm. well in places where people feel like they've been forgotten. Yeah. And reading this, I just, and it said what I said to you before, it just feels like Brexit. It feels like Mm. Sunderland, Sunderland, which is a lovely city with lovely people in the Northeast of England, but it's a city that's been forgotten. deindustrialized, has nothing really going for it, has to put up with a noisy neighbor in Newcastle that's the big center of culture and all of these things in the North. And you do begin to feel like, well, who who the fuck are we voting for if we're voting for these people? They don't do anything for us and it just compounds and compounds. So I can understand why people end up reacting very aggressively or very angrily.
1: One thing that might uh, make people feel this way is also the fact that you see what the place was before, because I mean, there are the huge, magnificent buildings or what were probably magnificent buildings. The streets are broad and paved. You know, you have those little cobblestones and and you can imagine i mean things look so majestic even the old houses there are some some streets with just beautiful villas and and you can see like okay people lived here uh, they were prosperous they were they were happy probably it's also a way of thinking like you know we had it we had everything and then we lost it and we mm. never got it back mm. there are people who own these lovely buildings who just don't want to renovate anything Maybe they don't have the money, maybe they don't have the capacity, but then the people that's, that are here have to live with that. It's It can't be a very nice position to be in.
2: So team, uh, who do you think is the most popular German living in the UK
0: these days? Do you mind if I answer this one, Didi?
1: Prince, Prince. no, King Charles. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was say
0: King Joss. <laughs> yes, I know he's not German, but it's the joke, right? It's uh, it's uh, most popular German. I have a feeling. I have a feeling I might know, but I can't really think. There's not that many Germans in public life in in, in Britain, is there?
2: Well, not so long ago it was Boris Becker, but you know he got deported, so he doesn't count anymore.
0: Of, of course, yeah, yes,
2: true. But the folk in the red half of Liverpool city. In other words, the Liverpool football club supporters of Liverpool, um, because of course the city is split blue and red, um, would probably yeah. suggest it to Jürgen Klopp, manager of the English of Premier League club Liverpool. I guess, does I mean, does that surprise you? I mean, Dilly, are, are you keeping up? I'm not sure. But Nick, maybe you can try and answer that first of all.
0: It does surprise me that he's, he's super popular, yeah. Jürgen Klopp. What, just in the UK or just in Liverpool?
2: Uh, I think he's really popular in the UK as well. Well, I he's th- comparatively popular. He's super popular in Liverpool or the red side of Liverpool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, success will do that. Winning a Premier League after 30 years will do that for you. So that's there's that.
2: Well, yeah, it's not just the Premier League, of course. It was in, okay, so... You know, this will bore everyone, but 2018, 2019 season, he or they, Liverpool FC, won the uh, Champions League and the UEFA Super Cup. And then, oh no, that was the next year, sorry, that they won the UEFA Super Cup. That was 2019 to 2020. Then also in 2019, 2020, they won the FIFA Club World Cup. And then of course, as you just mentioned, the Premier League as well, which they hadn't done for, yeah, since I was a kid, Mm. basically.
0: I mean, but that's, you can't like understate how massive, I think it was understated because it was during the pandemic, but it's such a massive achievement to, to, to come to Liverpool in 2015 and then go on to win them a trophy. And the fact that like there's obviously there's been talk this week because I'm, I'm assuming this is what we're leading to is the fact that Jurgen Klopp has decided to, to leave Liverpool at the end of the season. But the fact that he's being talked in the same breath as Bill Shankly, who is like a legend of Liverpool, famous for building Liverpool into what they are today, winning trophies, massive success, so many stories about him, and the fact that he's being mentioned in the same breath as Bill Shankly is like just a testament to how much he's loved. But I think the reason Klopp is loved—not loved, but like respected—outside of football is actually because he because of a lot of very german traits he just he cuts through the bullshit like and he does it in nearly every interview he's very forthright he's very direct in his opinions there's a famous interview where he was asked about brexit really interesting answer that he gave and he's first first off he's like look i'm just a football manager you shouldn't be getting political opinions from a football Mm. manager like what do i think like like I'm not even British, you know, and and, and, and the, the journalist pushed him and he said, well, you've asked the question, so I'll answer it. And he gave a really nuanced answer about the reasons why Brexit was not given a particular opinion either way, but obviously I think he sensed that he wouldn't have been a Brexit supporter, but he pointed out the, the kind of narrow mindedness of it and the short-sightedness of, of it and the fact that we need to all work together. And I think he garnered a lot of praise for people for just having quite a balanced perspective.
2: A- absolutely i was i in researching a little bit this afternoon I was looking through his Wikipedia entry and um yeah, it actually covered a number of things his his attitude to vaccination during the pandemic, which was very practical he's actually very open about things like his political beliefs which lean left of center, his attitude to things like private insurance and stuff like that but one thing I also did earlier today, I was listening to the Guardian Football Weekly podcast and they dedicated a good 20 minutes or so to the news actually. And it was, you know, I'm not going to regurgitate it all here. Please, if you're, if you're interested in the topic, go and listen to that because it was an interesting discussion. And And one of the things that sort of came across was that he feels his supporters say that he feels tremendous responsibility for the club and by that Mm -hmm. he meant not just the first team, but everyone who works at the club. And, and so the reason why he's come out with this announcement now, you know, several months before the end of the, uh, the season is, is really to prepare everyone um, because they'll, you know, when, when managers leave, it's not just the manager who, who leaves. Considerable people or number of people who work in the back room, his, mm-hmm. what they call the backroom staff, they tend to go as well because the new manager comes in mm-hmm. and will bring his or her new people in. And so it, a lot of people will be moving on. And so he wanted to sort of give them a decent heads up as well so they could start preparing. But it was indicative of his whole ethos around taking responsibility for, for the whole club. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: But well, Dilly, you said you, you, uh, it's funny cause when you, when Simon suggested having this as a topic, my assumption was you would be adamantly against it cause it's a football topic. And actually you said that you were quite sad about the fact that Klopp was leaving, I just wondering what it is about Klopp that seems to cut through your dislike for football.
1: I think it's just him being himself. He seems to be a very decent human being. The way he talks, uh, he speaks his mind. I think um, people find it very funny, like the things he says and does. He doesn't mind making mistakes. He's he's completely himself. I think there was one video of him saying "brain fuck" over and over until someone corrects him and says it's actually
0: "brain fog,"
1: and he goes, "Hey, it's the same thing." <laughs> And, he, like, and he's uh, just
0: no ego. There is there. He's not like trying to defend his ego in any way.
1: Absolutely no ego. He he takes it in his stride. He's fine with it. I think to to come across like that, you have to be completely at ease with your with yourself, and that's very attractive.
0: I, I thought it was interesting. I remembered as well that like, one of his first press conferences was. I mean, we came in. It was that era of of Mourinho, and the, he Mourinho was famous for um, Jose Mourinho. That I think he was managing. Chelsea again at that time, a second time perhaps it was Chelsea, but he had this moniker that he'd given himself, which was the special one. And I remember Klopp was asked in his first press conference, like, "Are you? Do you consider yourself to be?" Oh, Mourinho says he's the special one. What are you? And he went, "I'm the normal one." And I was like, "Yeah, it says everything, right? Like the good turn of phrase, like quick on his feet." Mm. But I think that endears and being humble and self deprecating will always garner you support in the UK because there's two very important traits in people I think being able to laugh at yourself and obviously there's been moments where he's not he's not laughed at himself and he's been a bit spiky but I think it's the fact that he understood the city he under he's such a good fit he's like a working class bloke he's worked through the lower leagues of football he managed mines then he went on to manage Borussia Dortmund two cities that kind of that those traits appeal to and then he goes to Liverpool. And it's such a sensible fit. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad he's going, but I mean, hopefully he can go out with a bit of a bang. He's in every tournament at the moment, so there's a potential he could get a quadruple by the end. It'd be nice to see. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's sad. It's sad that he's going, but I'll be interested to see if he takes over Germany. That'll be <laughs> something really interesting if he takes over the national team.
1: Okay, wouldn't that though, go against his statement that he's running out of energy? Because if he's running out of energy in Liverpool and he's not running out of energy in Germany, that's gonna be like ah, oh, that's gonna that's gonna to set tongues wagging. That's
2: that's a, that's a very good question, Dilly. And actually, in the Guardian's football weekly podcast, they address that. Or maybe actually, maybe it was in the. Oh, there's there's a German f- um, football podcast that I listened to as well, maybe they talked about it, but, but the demands on you as the national coach are completely different mm. from a mm. a league mm. coach or manager, because, you know, it's during the season, it's week in, week out, you're basically playing, but the national team only plays a handful of times a year. And then when there's a tournament, which is Typically, and for Germany, it would be every two years, either the Euros or or, or the World Cup. That's that's intense mm-hmm. as well. But and there's not as much travel, you know, mm-hmm. uh, associated with the, the national um, manager or coach's role. So, I actually think it would be quite a good fit for for him if he if he needs to slow things down because that's what he said. He mm-hmm. said. In the, the video that, or the interview that he released on Friday, the 26th of January, he said he was stepping down because, um, he was running out of energy. So it almost sounds like that's where the, lo- the next logical step for him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. i I mean, it would be, it'd be really great if he does. Cause I think he'd be, he, I mean, it won't be great as long as England wins the tournament this year and gets <laughs> it out of the way. And then Germany could just win everything afterwards. As long as I see England win one tournament, I'll be enough to keep me going for the rest of my life but as a, a tentative Germany fan I would say that i would be very excited to see Klopp in the dugout um, and see what he does with the team but yeah it's sad isn't it it's really sad to see him go but we've still got a few months left let's enjoy those while we can
1: I'm going to watch that video of his farewell announcement like on loop <laughs> it's the best best farewell announcement ever very well tears
0: done. tears pouring down your <laughs> face
1: That brings us to the end of the show. Simon and I are off to teach Nick how to have brunch correctly.
0: I'm having brunch correctly, man. Oh. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algema, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40 percentgermancom Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and be some next time, Mile. Cheers!
1: Cheers.